when the body breathes at the resonant breath rate of the body, which is generally five to seven breaths per minute, what happens is there's the opportunity, and, and indeed it, it happens, the breath and the heart pin to the same, they move in the same cycle. So you breathe in, the heart rate goes up, you breathe out, the heart rate goes down. But what they do is they move in a coherent sinusoidal cycle. The blood pressure's in the opposite trough, the organs around the heart in train, and the brain waves go to alpha. So the system is this coherent, whole integrated system. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Ben Pokolsky. And today we're going to talk to an incredibly special guest. Um, Dr. Micra Hamilton and I are going to sit down in my office and go through something called capnography, which sounds terrible and annoying and uh, probably really, really boring. But in, actually, it's probably the most interesting thing that I've discovered in a really long time. And it's because it seems to be the gateway into optimized performance and optimized cognitive function. What's capnography? It's ultimately a test to determine the level of carbon dioxide in your system. So Dr. Hamilton is going to explain what capnography is, how it works, and the assessment that we're doing. Now, I highly suggest if you haven't watched my podcast on YouTube, that you head over to YouTube, subscribe, and actually watch this video because there's a lot of very visual cues. If you're someone who's listening in the car, you're still going to get great information out of it, but you're going to notice that a lot of the stuff she talks about absolutely requires you to see what she's pointing to on a computer. <laughs> uh, so she she basically attached some electrodes to my finger, to my traps, um, and a uh, cannula into my nose and just checked my breathing rate. She had some, uh, she had a strap around my diaphragm to determine how much expansion and contraction I was getting in my diaphragm. So she's getting all these biometrics, biometric markers as to what was happening in my body and asked me to do a few quote unquote stressful or what may be perceived as stressful uh, practices. And just seeing what my heart rate did, seeing what my breathing rate did, seeing what my muscle tone did, and ultimately subjectively or objectively determining my level of health, especially of my nervous system, my autonomic nervous system. You guys know I talk about this stuff a lot on the show. Um, how your nervous system works is literally interpreting the world around you. So if you're someone who's just a high stressed, high autonomic sympathetic tone, um, the world around you is going to be perceived as stressful. Whereas if you're someone who's in control and you have the ability to turn it up or turn it down, well, then you're going to be more appropriately responsive and reactive to the things around you. So um, this is completely... Uh, unfiltered. This is completely unedited. So you guys are going to see my level of health or my level, or lack thereof, maybe. Um, I think I did okay. Not that it matters, but um, it's really interesting to to get a perspective into you know how do you move when you when you're asked a question or when you're put into a quasi stressful situation or how do you breathe and how does that change? And starting to become aware of it is this first step in changing, which is why I was so eager and willing to do this. Um, so thank you to Dr. Micra Hamilton for being guest on the show. She's incredibly bright. Uh, she, Dr. Micra works with uh, Apiron Medical uh, and Dr. Dan Stickler, as well as being a big uh, 
contributor to the military, U.S. military performance initiative. Um, without getting too much into her background, you guys are going to notice how incredibly bright and incredibly enlightened this lady is. Uh, I feel incredibly blessed to have had her on the show and in the studio. So uh, enjoy the show with Dr. Micra Hamilton. Well, you have, no, you have really great CO2. You're great. This is, this is what happens with elite performers, whether they're athletes or CEOs or... Um, gives really great cognitive clarity and really good muscle performance. The, the entire human system is thriving. How do we optimize that? Like, what, what would I need to be doing to, as simple as like just driving up your capacity, doing some breath level work, improving the, the, the mechanics of your breath? In, in lots of rate, yes and yes and yes. Right. Um, it's the evaluation of it is what is what tells you what you specifically like designs the strategy for you specifically to um, enhance that process. You know, and one of the things for you is going to be breath regulation. And when you do that, um, it'll be fascinating to see. You know, you're you're at about 42 millimeters mercury on the CO2. Uh, 45 is where it's the upper limit, right? Where the brainstem says breathe, right? Because this is that regulation of pH in the body, and so. So I need to get a little better. Well, you, you can, right? And then what does the perfusion in the brain and the, and the body look so like? So what would some of the tactics be for me to get there? And is it, right. can you go above 45? Well, if you're a free diver, right. <laughs> there's, there's interesting work on hypercapnia. Um, the, the limitation of the human evolving, in, this is in my thought process, and from what I've seen is the nervous system and the way the um, brainstem works with the chemoreceptors to promote that automatic cycle of breath. And so the breath disorders end up creating, um, in, in people who don't have this type of CO2. So we're feeling something like a breath hold situation, is that what you're ultimately after? Right. And is it, or is it a pressure thing and the breath holds, or is it just a, like why would deep free divers? Well, it's upregulating, so they upregulate the chemoreceptors from a sensitivity perspective. Right. right. So the more sensitive you are, the more the body's going to make you breathe. Right. And so it's basically it's, it's a desensitizing that process. So for someone who must, like myself who doesn't free dive or doesn't have the intention, extended breath holds. Elevation training, like tell me, what, what, is, is it a we'll, pressure thing? What what'll happen is once you see this whole picture, then you'll be able to know. Okay. It, there's there's once this picture is ideal, so your breath is ideal, right? The mechanics, the position, the speed, um, the volume. Once that's all ideal, then it's about that fine tuning and enhancing. It's like step by step, sure. it's done, right? Yeah. And and that's why this precision data is so amazing because it's. It's what's showing up in you based on what you're doing when. Okay, so really good. So um, let, me, let me just keep this off so that you're not <laughs> uncomfortable. Okay. Just kind of get used to it. <laughs> so what we did was we looked at the and you know I wanna I wanna leave okay. uh, I wanna leave this because I wanna do something to show you that regulation that we were talking about. Are you comfortable yeah, with them leaving them on yes. for a few minutes? So what you're looking at here are all of the different sensors. In, in the top graph, the blue is the temperature, and the red is the skin conductance. 
And then here, this is your, the EMG, so the muscle sensors are on your traps. Right and left, um, the light blue is the left, the dark blue is the right shoulder. And then this is the PPG, it's actually showing heart rate variability. And then the two strain gauges, the uh, chest is the dark gray, and the belly is the blue. So the grid, can you explain what we're looking at? So yeah. is it the grid of the variable you? So, so when you look at this baseline state, this is you. This is you right now, and you based on some time of life. So we look at your temperature, you're 91.8 here. 85 to 95 is a, is a normal distal temperature. And so what that means is you've got good blood flow to the capillaries at the fingertips. When people don't, if they're in their 70s on this, it's generally either a um, chronic sympathetic tone where they've been in fight or flight all the time for an extended period of time, or they've got something off in their chemistry. So maybe they've got autoimmune, Raynaud's, um, thyroid, different things going on in the actual health profile. So this is a, a super beautiful temperature, which correlates with is, that rate Is higher better again, or is it just you want to be somewhere in that range? In the range, and yet when you look at what does vasodilation mean, it's more capacity. Right. So more perfusion to the brain, more micronutrients to the brain, to the muscles. So is that something then that will fluctuate kind of like a like an autonomic response? It does. Yeah. It does fluctuate. And um, yours yours definitely fluctuates. If you just if you simply just look sure, at the line yeah. and the different events, you do have a temperature fluctuation as you engage but in my things. Median was ninety one. Right. And so what we do with that is we just look at this was your color words and we look at what happened. Um, you're still at 91, still at 91, and even though there's a fluctuation, and you can see it, it's a, it's a tiny fluctuation, which means that you don't have issues with dropping your temperature in stress, right? Some people can't hold on to that temperature. So think if you're, um, say you're 80, and then you're stressed, and everything constricts. Now you, you drop five degrees right. in a 14-minute period. That's going to approximate what you really do in life. And imagine an eight-hour day of stress right. and the compromise to not just the physiology, but the mind as well, the connections and, and your ability to stay present with the person you're with and, and not be emotional and reactionary. And so this begins to tie all those pieces together of what's happening in the mind as the body is actually going into more of that evolutionary stress response. That's why it's like just creating more resilience is the way to kind of combat this, right? It's like, it is. Yeah. It is. Um, so when we look at skin conductance, what happens with any stress is the sweat response kicks in, and you can see it went up, it also returned down, right? This is another sign of resiliency in the system. It's normal to get a little uncomfortable when, when you're doing something like this, and yet you were able to turn it off. Arise again in the math, you turned it off. Um, soccer, you're moving and you're kind of game on. And so, of course, rise and again you turned it off. And so, um, the last video game I played is Mark and I on Atari in 1984. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was one of my favorite. Yeah, it's the best game um, ever. Probably the last one I played, right. too. Okay. <laughs> um, so, so, two really great signs of thriving health and well being here. Uh, so we know when we look at the muscles, what's going on in the traps, and you know, if you can see 
If you look down here at the respiration, so this is inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, the little um, mountains. Look what your traps are doing, right? So this is, we call it breathing through the traps. So what's happening is there's some, right, vertical breathing going on, and now you've got 20,000. Should it be completely straight? I do. Generally, you don't need activity in the muscle unless you're doing something sure. with the muscle. And so that 20,000 breaths a day is creating lots of tension in the muscle. Trying to build my traps. <laughs> Through breathing? Yes. No, you built built those oh. in the gym. <laughs> Trying to multitask. And so what's interesting here is so you this is the soccer task. You can see this is a, a nice, nice little space. And remember we, we talked before about um, potentially your right shoulder having a little more activity because you've been but pushing that hard. This is where you turned the soccer on. So you moved in your position. When you, when you went back into that position, you didn't take the energy out of the musculature. Keep it there. It, right, you kept them tense. You did turn it off here in the left shoulder. This is, you, you, right? you can see where that all settled down. And so one of the things that we would be aware of here is that um, you can carry heightened tension in your musculature, and it's being aware of, am I? So that you have no muscle activity that isn't required for the purpose that it's doing. And so if, if this were like this the whole time, we would go, okay, are you, are you totally injured along that whole plane, or have you just like blown everything out, and this is the, the temporary fallout? Um, or is this, is this a stress carrying for you? If it were a stress carrying, we would put you through muscle feedback and get you to know the on-off and to sure. turn it off instantly so that the, the body and the mind connect and go, okay, this is on, this is off. Off is definitely what we want to be. And so um, from the perspective of what would, what would we do with this, nothing, you turned it off, you are aware. Now this conversation makes you even more aware. But this, breathing in the traps, um, we're going to take care of that as we shape and regulate the breath. And so this will, this will simply not be there when your breath mechanics are ideal. Now, would that be something as simple as like a slouch on some night and come up like this? From, from the breath? No. Okay. No. And this, is, this is truly your breath mechanics are pushing vertical. Okay breathing. Um, and so it's, it's basically we're turn the vertical breathing off, breathe predominantly diaphragmatically, and leave the chest alone. And so, so if we come down to heart rate variability, you can see, and these are, these are such tiny little tracings, but you can see the heart rate variability matching up at times um, with the respiration. So you see that inhale, exhale, it locked in here, there are a couple down here. Mm -hmm. And so you remember um, heart rate variability perspective is when the body breathes at the resonant breath rate of the body, which is generally five to seven breaths per minute, mm -hmm. what happens is there's the opportunity, and, and indeed it, it happens, the breath and the heart pin to the same, they move in the same cycle. So you breathe in, the heart rate goes up, you breathe out, the heart rate goes down. But what they do is they move in a coherent sinusoidal cycle. The blood pressure's in the opposite trough. The organs around the heart entrain, and the brain waves go to alpha. 
So the system is this coherent, whole integrated system. In order for that to happen, you've got to be around that resonance breath rate. And so you could be at eight, eight-ish, nine breaths per minute and still get some decent heart rate variability. But to really optimize that process, you train at, at whatever your resonance rate is. So probably five, five and a half breaths per minute. And, and we're going to check it really quick after this just to see how quickly you lock into it. But you are, and this also goes to your level of fitness and athleticism and overall health and well-being, um, you do have some, some good things going on even though it's a slightly too fast, right? So Doing what was my breathing rate per minute? You are um, at different times. And so if you look at these two tracings, you can see this was, this was when you had your eyes closed. And your breath structure here is the most relaxed and the natural cycle of breath. So there's nice shape, nice consistency. These two are a little bigger. Now when you closed your eyes, or sorry, this is when your eyes were closed. When you opened your eyes, there was a little more activation. So the thoughts are kicking in and things, things are uh, not as connected. And so then we do this stroop where you do the color words and look at the consistency of the breath, right? If this is decently consistent, this is less and less, right? Then you do the math and again, the consistency is, it's going offline. Do the soccer and there's faster breath. So in the beginning with your eyes closed, your baseline is Nine, 9 to 12 breaths per minute. And then here, as we, as we get a little, um, this is Stroops here talking. We don't measure anything when you're talking because there's too much change going on. What's the, the issue mainly is the inconsistency of what's happening. And then here, after the soccer, you're 14, 15. Which, you know, normative, normative breath rates, they say oh, between 12 and 20. This is, this is what most people um, think Harvard and Mayo. They say, okay, 12 to 20 is the general place. It's not ideal, right? right? Because we just talked about the resonance rate of the breath for the heart and coherence. And so in the 20s and 30s, we were breathing at five breaths per minute. And then as you look at the breath rates over time, I think it was the 60s or 70s, and I'll get this graph for you, but the 60s or 70s, we were around 12 breaths per minute, which is still close enough, decent. Now we're between 19 and 24 breaths per minute as a culture. It, it's insane. It's too short that time. And what happens in the body mind is poor health, poor cognition, poor connections. Because now I'm in an emotionally reactive state because my body feels like it's in danger. So I'm looking through a very emotional lens, and you can do anything to set me off. And I can't stand with you. And now I'm like, it's. <laughs> And then I spill all over you, and you get upset, and you spill all over the next person, and it's just this big downstream effect of reactionary postures, predominantly tied to what's going on in the breath cycle. Because what happens with that fast breath is the CO2 comes off 
in too great a quantity. Now there's vasodilation, and now we're in real danger, according to right, yeah. the body-mind. And so people are living chronically in that state. So they look out, why are we obese? Why are we you know, depressed? Look at the breath. Nobody's looking at the breath in, from a chemistry perspective and what it's causing in the body-mind. Right, as far as being the gateway to this healthful existence. Clear cognition, high concentration, extreme focus, high performance, enhanced intuition, right? It's all tied to what is, what is the chemistry doing based on what the breath is doing, and what areas of the brain do you predominantly reside in? Are you in your prefrontal cortex, in your executive skills, where everything is you know, pretty rational and clear? Or are you triggering limbic activation and staying in amygdala overdrive, where there's paranoia and fear and combative nature? Something as simple as responding to your environment rather reacting, and it just comes down to like taking those few mindful breaths. Now, walking us down the path of like, so if I want to go from 12 to 5, is it fitness? Is it mechanical? Is it uh, conscious? Is it... I'd love for you to give me... Yeah, and, and we're going to do it. And I'm okay. going to put you on the spot in Perfect. real time and yeah, see how quickly we can get your heart and your respiration to lock in. One thing I've learned to embrace is like challenge. How fast can we do it, right? Let's right. Do it. And and those are the games, right? Those are the games we play. So, um, you know, when when we when we become ideal from the perspective of um, an optimized nervous system, when we become ideal, then we can get into enhancement and go to places that we really don't quite know as a sure. culture. Yeah. Right. And so that's that's really the fun part. Um, so so basically, overall, really good systems. The two big things are we're going to turn off the breath through the shoulders. We're going to optimize the breath, um, tie it so that heart rate variability can go wherever you want to go with it in training, um, and then work on a little a little higher CO2. Even though you're spectacular from perfusion perspective, the vasodilation so perspective. So simple as shortening the inhalation and increasing the exhalation? Well, it'll be what it is for you. Okay. And so this is why watching the CO2 as you're actually doing the training is critical. What happens is people say, uh, let's do some HRV training. And people sit down and force their body into this prescriptive mechanic. But what they do is they take in too much volume. The human is only designed to take a certain amount of volume. When you take in too much volume, you send out too much carbon dioxide. And so they're sending off so much, they're mechanically manipulating their heart rate variability, but their system isn't improving, right? And sure. so, um, so a lot of- It's kind of like breathing into a bag would mechanically improve my CO2, but not gonna improve my- <laughs> Not gonna improve your function in life, right? Just carry a bag around. Kind of weird to have a bag hanging off your face all day. Yeah, a lot of, uh, oh, sorry, a lot of yoga um, practitioners have health issues because of this, and because of their lack of awareness around the importance of CO2 and, and volume regulation, a lot of their people get dizzy and um, 
have compromise after after what's supposed to be very relaxing mm -hmm. for them. And so, so, so what would your uh, fix be for that if you had somebody coming to you saying, hey, it has to be an individualized thing. There's not some broad stroke statement where we can say, well, just stop holding your breath, stop breathing so deeply. Maybe breathe softly rather than deeply. And it is. It's a, it's a very, it's, it's almost like, you know, the babies. The babies, you can't tell they're breathing. Sure. They're barely moving. In fact, you just go, are you breathing? You know, because we love those little beings. And so if we, if we take a cue from them, because they're untainted by life experience, they're so safe, right? They're, if, they're, if they're nurtured and their needs are being met, and, and they're barely breathing. And so if you said, what amount of breath do I require? The answer is most people don't know. So how still? Masters, masters of breath cannot see that they're breathing. You, you wonder, because their energy field is so quiet, you wonder what's going on with them. They're barely breathing, because we don't require what we think. But take a deep breath is probably one of the most, I would say, um, negatively impacting phrases that we use in our culture. Really? Right? Not only does it trigger you, hey, Ben, take a deep breath, right? Because I think you're getting irrational, so I want you to slow down. You hear my tone. Right. We do that with people all the time. Just take a deep breath. Relax. Well, they're already in such a heightened state. Now they're take, they can't to begin with, but they try to take the deep breath, blow off more carbon dioxide, more disconnection with consciousness, and they end up, right, panic attack in the ER. And I'm not saying all panic attacks are this, but many sure. are. Yep. Most anxiety equals breath. And so, so to get back to the question you asked me, what I would do ideally, this would be in every preschool, right? preschool and kindergarten, it would be in every yoga studio, it would be in every fitness facility, it would be in every ER. It would be where people are living life, and the minute you have an awareness of what that's doing, and you understand how essential it is for everything in your life, you go, oh, there's nothing wrong with me, my breathing is simply off. Is there a way to do this without having tubes up your nose? Like, could we have a, the pulse socks? Do they have any pulse socks that can, there's no correlation that can be drawn between blood oxygenation and CO2? It's a real time, right? It's a real time thing. And right now, the only way to look at it is this way. Now, we are in tag development around it because um, you can create a much smaller device that does it all. And so it, it will, be tied to the iPhone, um, but right now, truly, when you look at what's what's available, because I think there's such a lack of education around how critical this is, nobody's ever looked at it, in, you know, in in this way, and so there's no money in it if it doesn't make sense to. Do you see use it on the? It's mask? also like yeah, mask yeah. Who wants to put something to nose and sit there for 14 minutes? <laughs> right. Like, and, and, right. And it's a stressful situation to begin with. So I get it, but I'm you know at least starting with the lying through. Like let's put it in every gym, right? Let's say so I'm putting it in mind. Like I said, like I want to make it part of the assessment process, so giving people some quantifiable measures of progression. And it's you know with breath work, any of these transformative breath workshops, and anybody who's putting anyone into a change in breath state. You know I, I go. 
how safe is it for you to do that when you have no idea how hypocatonic they already are? And now you're going to make them more hypocatonic, and what is that going to throw them into? And you watch in transformative breathwork, they move into a techni state. And so you go, well, that's transformation, and I know myself differently. Yes, you do, but at what cost to the body, and at what cost to the mind and, and the health over time? And those are things that we're we're working with transformational breathwork people who are you know epigenetically science driven, so that we can begin to define those things because there's just a lot of um, lack of education around this, you know that we can that we can open lots of new lanes to in the performance world especially. It's interesting how many. Well, those are the people that would actually buy, right? Because that's that's a super easy lowing fruit. To take anything, you don't have to work hard, just sit your ass down and breathe through 15 minutes. Right. Right. Optimize the whole system. It'll take like like no time. Would you recommend doing this pre-workout or post? Or um, we, we do it, right? It depends on the person's oh, lifestyle. Oh, because inhale, down as exhale? Um, inhale, exhale. And so um, let's do this and then I'll answer the question. So just do your, don't follow this yet, just do your breath. That's inhale, exhale. And see, and you are you are naturally doing it at five five and a half breaths per minute, and so already your respiration and your HRV are working together, and that's that's that you know um, testament to your fitness. I think I have the ability to be mindful of these things, but sometimes you get lost in like the reactivity of the world. Okay, so. So just follow, and you don't need to follow the ball, but sometimes when you follow the ball, it happens a little more quickly. And then we're going to look at the spectral analysis of, of the heart rate variable. I tend to have a pause between my inhalation and exhalation. And, and what you want to do with this is you want to make the peak and the trough identical. Right? A smooth sinusoidal inhale, exhale. And so watch. Watch that, and then adjust your breath as it moves in real time. So there is a little pause. And what we can tell with, with this is, is the person pushing out their exhale? Are they cutting off the inhale? Right? What's going on in that breath structure? Do we you want to push the, out the exhale? No, you want to, you, the Just exhale wants to leave the body. The air just simply leaves the body. Then the reflex kicks in and says, breathe, and the body breathes. And then it leaves the body and it breathes. So I shouldn't be trying to slow it down on the way out. I should just be letting it be. Right. And as you watch the structure, what you recognize is that natural rhythm simply locks in. But for most people, they can't get anywhere close to this because they're at 24 breaths per minute. The body won't slow down that fast. So for you, because you're already there, it's time, time and training. First with equipment so that you can validate that you've got really great shape, speed, structure, um, and CO2. And then what fine tuning of that creates a more beneficial outcome. So um, higher spectral power on your heart rate variability, because that's what we do. Longer of holding the heart rate variability. So can you hold it at 95% for 20 minutes? When you can get to that place, you can pretty much move your brain around. So, so the next step. You're holding at 95%. What exactly? It's um, in heart rate variability training. 
70% is considered of, of coherence, so sinusoidal coherence. 70% is what is considered healthy, right? We look at 90% because we don't work with, right? Sure. We work yeah. with performers, and so 90% is really complete control for 20 minutes, is complete control of the nervous system. If you can do that and hold it without losing your focus, without losing you know, any part of that, you can pretty much do what you want with your system. And so once this is achieved, then we stack the brain on. And I'm sure you've had, I don't know how many QEGs, but you know, what's going on in your brain? Once this system is in alignment at its highest capacity, the brain will pretty much do whatever we want. And this is where neurofeedback is. A lot of, a lot of neurofeedback doesn't take into account the body and the mechanics. And so the brain won't change because the system is in tension. Super interesting. So um, focus on that just so that we can get a few, uh, see how quickly you can lock on. And then, so that, that trough is really nice and rounded. And what I would do is I would um, have a little more pause before the air goes out. So it's more like a little, yeah. And you see the heart rate variability locking in almost instantly. That was three breaths. And so here, this 0.1 hertz is that ideal place. And so the more time spent in this, the more power built here. And then the system is simply, the system knows thriving. It's a natural state. It's just life takes us out of that natural state so often that if we, if we aren't mindful of returning to that state over and over again, it, it simply sits in tension and it can't do its natural thing. So the, so the intuitive intelligence of the body is gone. And that's really what, what we're returning to with, with all of this is the homeostatic design of the human, optimizing it, then upgrading it. Because we've stayed this way for a very long time. And it's time. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to uh, have a little bit of a human expression. And, and those things are very strategic in their planning. Tell me how you discovered this. Mm, discovered it mostly um, through necessity of my own system crashing and um, refusing to believe that I couldn't thrive at 150. Um, Years old. Right? Yeah. Recognizing that my um, that my capacity was tied to youthful nature, you know, human comes in and uh, thrives until after reproduction age. Hormones decline, or transmitters decline. We accept aging as an axiom. That's why we age. Right? We're programmed to age, but we accept it. And so I refused to accept it. So I started, I actually did it for PTSD because I was also working with the military around this, but, but I learned on myself. And I got really, really good at it. And being over 50 and being faster than most people, smarter than most people, happier than almost everyone, <laughs> the, time, the time doing the training absolutely pays off. Consciousness expands, connections increase, um, the knowing of so is it just as simple as like this this type of training? It is. It is as simple as this in the beginning. Did you see your? Um, no, we, we're too quiet. We're not. We're not. I mean, we're too loud. We're not. 
practicing enough to get a perfect, your perfect score, and we can do that, like I said, some other time, but um, yes, breast structure, breath rate, CO2, and then returning to it anytime you leave it, returning to it anytime you leave it, and then in your performance world, optimizing to those specific events that you're doing. I just don't know what it feels like now. Like I can, I can kids that amount, right? Right. I just don't know that I can do it while I'm obviously talking and doing other things at the same time. And the breath is dynamic, and so you sure. wouldn't want to, right? Your breath structures are based on what you're doing. But it's the fine-tuning of that, so you know that once you get above 145 beats per minute, your, your fine motor skills go. Right? This is another thing that's just simply part of the human at this time. And yet we can train that to a different place as well. So it's finding your place and then knowing it well enough that you don't need this equipment. Are you, are you training that? Like the ability to maintain fine motor skills at a very high heart rate? Really? Just... We, do, we do whatever the person is interested in at whatever level they can achieve over time. Sometimes it's very quick, sometimes it takes longer. We do um, advanced, um, what is the, uh, VR. Oh, yeah. VR. So, so imagine going into an elevator and walking a plank outside of a hundred story building. The nervous system absolutely crashes. Even though you know that you're standing on the Right. Right. And so, so fine-tuning it once you get past these stages of optimization of now can I take this nervous system that is absolutely scared to death that it's going to die and, and refine those things so that I can function in any It's just like repetitive action, like how many times do you have to do this before it's no longer a stress kind of thing? Now is that, um, does that have a cross-transfer in your experience? Like if I go out and do this plank in an elevator because of the the amount of sympathetic arousal does that transfer to other scenarios which may be different than walking in a plank? Sure. Like some people may get social anxiety or some people may get like a completely different stressful scenario like a military scenario. There's cross transfer. Yes. Because what happens is you're building resiliency in the nervous system and in the body-mind complex. And that's an interesting thing. We don't do that on purpose. Right. When we do it on purpose, then what is the outcome? So it's like it's like the newbie that actually creates greater resiliency in the nervous system. It creates a big contraction first. Right, but then by it suggesting that sympathetic stress. Right, yeah. and so as you, as you gently, it's not gentle at all to walk right. a plank at that, you know, sure. at that, and even when you fall off the plank, we've had people like tear, tear their skin open because there was no ability of the body to, even though the mind knew they were on the floor. There was no ability to regulate that system in the beginning. And so falling off a, a block this high and, and scraping the skin off the feet, hmm. right? It's, uh, you'll, have to, you'll have to do it because it's, oh, it's really spectacular. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, one thing you, that's completely off topic, but I'd love to have you, uh, love to have you talk about I think it was Kurt that mentioned to me that you had an anechoic chamber. We may have mentioned that in text. Tell me about that. I'm very curious about that. So one of the, one of the you know, recognizing that the human can't change without a change in the nervous system. Yeah. Right? Um, my background is in sound, and so what I 
what I did in our center in North Carolina is I created an anechoic sound chamber. And anechoic is without reflection. It's a round chamber, and what we've done is, it's a, do you know um, in geometry, a star tetrahedron? It's, a, it's, it's two triangles, you know, kind of squishing yeah. to each other. And yeah. it's, they, they also refer to it as a Merkaba or a, um, I think a Metatron's cube. There are a couple of different names. It's basically geometry. And so we have speakers above and below, the top and the bottom of the chamber, and then at different angles in the star tetrahedron. So all the platonic solids are um, in, in sort of incorporated in that shape. So, so we have one layer, so we've got the, the quiet layer, anechoic, non-reflective nature, so the nervous system feels total peace. And then we've got um, this structure that sends sound in an interesting way. What we do is we hang the client in uh, a floating chair. So think of about, or think of a sensory deprivation chamber. We call it a sensory optimization chamber, uh, predominantly working with sound. But what happens when sound is introduced in a way that we're not used to having it introduced? in a configuration where sound never comes from underneath you, right? So a three-dimensional sound structure that moves and then is sculpted on purpose. So meaning, um, think of being in a rainforest, being in the Amazon, and hearing the water droplets on the leaves. It's interesting, what happens in, in this event, it's, we, we call it a sound journey, we put the person in, it's completely dark, all of the speakers are calibrated to this one place. So the mind doesn't know what to do with it. So it goes on this incredible journey of whatever your mind creates. And so you can, some people can smell the earth of the Amazon and some people can feel the water, actually feel the water right. on their skin. What it's doing in the brain is it's such a unique signal that it's taking away the sense of self. It's not that I am this, it's that I am all of it. So I am the sound, I am the structures, and the movement. And so people report all kinds of cool things. They were, um, one, one piece has a big Kodo drum, and when that drum hits, Japanese, you know, they see Japanese uh, ancient villages and people, I mean, the visions over the years have just been insane. But it's basically creating a new experience of the sensory system. So, so for us it isn't, a, it isn't about that from the perspective of why was it created. It was created to work with PTSD. So, so the, the idea was this, before you went away to war or where you know whatever whatever event happened you generally had a great life so you're in high school with your buddies and you're rocking out to whatever was the cars or whatever was important to you at that time those memories are a state of being in the body mind you go away this this crazy stuff happens and you don't remember any of that you're just contracted down in all ways and so we designed it so that we could use oxytocin, you know, the, the hormone, hormone trust. That I got in the delivery room. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So that we could use oxytocin, use music, spatialized music, 
to return them to a state of ease. Like what you experienced with your daughter, your breath cycle was the best in the entire event. You dropped right into coherence, everything was open, and you felt it, right? Your body reflected it. So we, we said, well, if we do this, will the simple re-entering of that state allow them the contrast to recognize that they don't have to stay in this contracted state. Right? The body snaps back down, the mind snaps back down, but once there's contrast, then you know that there's the potential for you to feel better. Right? So this is why it was we started yeah. it to begin with. And then what happened over time was it started jumping all the technology into it, and then we started doing um, executive teams where we'd put four in there together, and we would... Um, do their heart rate and their breath and then let them breathe each other's sync together or correct yeah. sync together so creating team coherence hmm. and so it it started in this small way and has become something very massive now we're adding sound and um, tactile and olfactory things so that we can open the entire sensory system in a different way um, how quickly can we get trauma which is stuck energy to change state, because it isn't necessary to embed it in the body to begin with, and it isn't necessary to keep it, right? So we break them, and we don't put them back together. Right, so when you say it's not necessary to embed it in the body, tell me about that, because that's not, doesn't have to be a default response to a stressful scenario. Like, I actually have the ability, if I, my nervous system is healthy, maybe to be resistant to that or resilient to the stress? Of course. It's, you know, the, you look at the Israelis, they're a highly stress-resilient culture. They know death, sure. they know war. From the time they are babies, they're taught to deal with it in certain ways. We have, we have no education around self-regulation of our, of our little people. Right. So by the time they're bigger people, and they've had all this life experience, they got already stuck in the body because they haven't regulated their system. We keep death at such an arm's length, right? Like, we don't see it. You don't get to, like... We look it, away. Yeah, it's a huge traumatic event when somebody dies. We're like, no, that's a part of life. Exactly. Where people don't want to see it or talk about it, so it's terrible. Like, you don't want to see that your food used to be alive? Like, oh my goodness. Like, <laughs> I showed my kids a picture of their dinner last week, and <laughs> that was the first time. They were very curious, but, uh, like, that, that, that thing used to be like, yeah, that's that's what it looked like when it was alive. Now it's on your plate. And they're like, oh, I think that's an important thing for them to start being aware of is, you know, like, um, finite reality of life. And it doesn't have to be a big stress when you encounter an animal or when you encounter death. Or it's just like, it maybe brings a greater level of gratitude for what you've got. Yeah, Do you know anything about the strategies they're using in Israel to teach the kids about this self-regulation stuff? Um, I, know, I know that there is a lot of um, emotional regulation. They talk, talk about the things that um, occur. It's, you know, this is the thing we don't talk about. We don't talk about sex in our culture. Right. We don't talk about anything in our culture. And so, you know, when you look at what, what do we need to do to, to create highly resilient people, it's as simple as all of this. Everything comes down. How are you regulating your human? Right? Right. The human is designed intelligently. There is nothing like us. Right? 
it's designed to be self-healing, self-aware, and yet we're not self-aware, we're not self-healing, we want a pill. We don't need to be, but it comes down to the regulation of that system. So when children get upset, what do we do with them? N not, not aware parents, but what do most parents do? Stop that crying. Right. We, we shut down our emotions immediately. <laughs> and they hold their breath because we just yelled at them to stop crying. <gasps> now my breath structures are off because sure. every time I get yelled at, I hold my breath. Now I've patterned that into my body. Right. Right? So what's a better strategy? Well, allowing them to let the emotion flow to through their down. system. This is people, we're so afraid of what people will think if our kids decompensate. Our kids are simply having an experience that they don't understand, but they're authentic in that. Right. And so as they get to where you can hear them, they can hear you, conversations are so beautiful. You simply ask the question, what are you, what are you feeling? We don't do that. Right. <laughs> try. Um, now, so taking that scenario into people who are more performance oriented, when we're feeling a situation where we may feel more contracted, how do we personally work through that? So you said, well, you know, I don't want to hold this emotion, I want to express it or I want to feel it. What's, a, what's the intervention strategy? Yeah, so, the, so the first thing is awareness, awareness of my system. And, and this is where most people don't have that awareness because they live in their minds mm -hmm. and not fully in disconnected from the body correct and so again why the technology is so incredible because it shows you who you are it shows you what your system is doing and it shows you how to optimize that system when that system is optimized there isn't any going offline right. because you know that you've gone out of alignment you, you pull it right back. It's like, it's like narcolepsy. People, they like fall asleep and then forget that there's a way out. And so their systems will contract. They don't do anything about it. The system contracts more and more and more and it stays in a contracted state. Everything is processed through that contraction. And so contrast that with if my system is always breathing its natural breath, I bump into something that upsets me, somebody gets hurt, and I'm having a concern about that. It's perfectly reasonable for my heart to beat and for my breath to catch for a moment, right? But then I recognize that pulling it back into alignment is going to allow me to be with that person. I'm not the one hurt, right? Right. They require my full presence and attention. Thank you. Like getting back into your cerebral cortex. And not my emotional disconnection mm -hmm. where I serve no purpose other than to spin them up even more. Right? Yeah. So I want to come back to this because I think there's a lot of takeaways that can be had there for the listeners to talk about. Um, you know, short of like, is there an app that may exist with this natural breathing extension? Here it is. Yeah. So HeartMath Institute is right the number one institute out there. Thirty years of data. It's been <laughs> dropping. Um, but thirty years of data, and you know, amazing folks. They were helping with the PTSD research early on, and connecting me with the you know the, the best people in the field. And so we've been with them many years. The the only thing is, we'll, I'll take you back to the capnography. 
you can breathe that breath. You can get good heart rate variability outcome on the equipment and not have great CO2 regulation, right? So you can compromise the system by having too much volume. So yes, for people who have no issues with that CO2, it's the perfect tool. It's less than 100 bucks. You can pull it around on your iPhone, tracks you over time, goes into a cloud, all the coaches can look at, you know, look at the training. Um, so that's a, that's a great... So that's basically just guiding your inhalation exhalation cycles and hopefully coordinating that with your heart rate? Correct. Right. And then over time, it allows you to build more and more resilience. Very cool. How much does exercise play in that? So does the health of someone's aerobic system a big rule or something that maybe doesn't have optimal health can they still achieve ideal um, heart rate coherence? They can achieve coherence if they're not athletically active. You look at how much benefit you can get from it, a little. Like this is an age-related thing, so as we age, HRV declines. Yeah. Um, and so working with that breath cycle at that rate certainly improves their health. Now, exercise is absolutely essential for all aspects of life. 7,500 genes are beneficially changed. The expression is beneficially changed epigenetically with exercise. So of course, it's going to create thriving heart rate variability, thriving. The reason I was so interested in this is because as soon as I found it, my performance went to a different level. Mm -hmm. Like as a bodybuilder, there's no thought around breathing, there's no thought even around heart rate variability. It's just like, just work hard. And if you're not working hard, you know, you're a pussy basically, you know, for lack of a better term. Uh, and that, that's literally what it is, like, man up. And I was like, God, it's just such stupidity, right? It's, well, how can I you know, do that in an intelligent way? I still want to work hard, but like, I want to make sure I'm doing things in an intelligent way. And as soon as I've learned some degree of breath regulation and breath control, my perceived exertion went way down. And like the people I train with, their perceived exertion is through the roof. And I'm like, well, let's start the workout kind of thing, right? And, and that was such a powerful thing for me. I was like, that's it? Like, gosh, I could, I probably could have pushed my performance 50% further had I known this earlier, which is why I was like, gosh, everyone needs to hear this. I tell my coaches every day, I'm like, HRV, breath control, HRV, breath control, and it's this idea of coherence and tying this all together with heart math and uh, And to recovery, and that's the thing. Think about what happens in the system. Totally. When that's ideal. Yeah, there's different, tone. There's, uh, there's so many different effects. Lactic acid, even the building is shifted by how you're working with the breath. And so as you stack all this stuff and do it in vivo out there and see the individual feedback and then that person fine-tunes that system, we will have a whole new class right. of crazy performers. People always ask, like, can we push performance for them? And we haven't started. Like, right. Because it's yeah. not even close to 1%. There's probably, you know, you can probably count them on two hands the number of pro athletes doing this stuff, right? Like, there's not a lot of people who get it yet. I'm just curious to see what's going to happen when we actually achieve that next level. When you bring complex systems performance, to the stage. Do you see? Sure. Oh, it's fabulous. Absolutely. Thank you. It was awesome. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. 
you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode.